from HerbMentor.com, this is Herb Mentor Radio. You're listening to Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com. I'm John Gallagher. My guest today is Robert Dale Rogers. Robert has been a student of native plants and fungi from the Canadian prairies for over 40 years. He teaches plant medicine at Grant McEwen University and the Northern Star College of Mystical Studies in Edmonton. He is a professional member of the American Herbalist Guild and chair of the Medicinal Mushroom Committee of the North American Mycological Association and on the editorial board of the International Journal of Medicinal Mushrooms. Robert is author of 14 books, including his latest, The Fungal Pharmacy, The Complete Guide to Medicinal Mushrooms and Lichens of North America. You can see Robert teach this July at the Montana Herb Gathering as well as in December at the North American Mycological Association. Robert's website is selfhealdistributing.com. Robert, welcome. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, Robert, we're focusing uh, on our fung fungi friends today. Um, uh, though you are an herbalist and you've written a lot of books, um, so on Herb Mentor, we uh, love hearing the stories about uh, how people got into what they got into. So, how did you begin learning about plants? Did you start at a young age, or was that something in your family, or something you just kind of picked up along the way? Well, I, this is the story I often tell. Um, is when I was six years old, I actually uh, contracted uh, um, tuberculosis from my uncle who came back from the Korean War. So oh. we're going back to the mid-1950s. And, uh, of course, I was the most affected. And and I remember many years later that during that summer, I would take uh, small glass jars and fill them with water and go around the neighborhood. And I was putting flower petals on top of the water and putting them out in the sun, and uh, and then drinking them, of course. And uh, wow. many years later, I realized that I was actually giving myself flower essence uh, infusions. And uh, so I guess that's where I started, when I was about six years old. And later, I came to Edmonton in Canada here to uh, become a medical doctor. And after two years of pre-med, I just didn't have the heart for it. And I, I finished a degree in botany. And from there on, I started studying uh, plant medicine with local native healers of the region uh, and started to expand from there. And then I finally um, went to England, went to Spain and studied there in Barcelona for a while. And then I went to um, Peru and did a two-year kind of a apprentice in Peru and I started a clinical practice in 1984 in, in Edmonton, where I live now. Okay, and uh, so it's that, it's really interesting. So you had some native elders along the way too, so to, to teach you about the plants of your area. I mean, have you been centered in the Edmonton area most of your life? Uh, just since university and and on. I uh, I actually was born in Prince Edward Island, a small province in eastern Canada, and uh, then in Nova Scotia and Halifax. But came out here, came out west for university. Okay, and and in, in Canada, there's a. a it's 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 legal to is it le it's legal to be an herbalist, right? <laughs> no, it's not. Oh, it's illegal. not. It's not there uh, in Alberta, the province I'm in. It actually is. Uh, there is no status. No status in British Columbia, on the west coast. Uh, there is actually is a, a legal association at this mm -hmm. point, but mm -hmm. no, I I, uh, I no longer practice uh, herbalism in clinically uh, for having for about ten years. I kind of concentrated more on research and and teaching and uh and writing so that's more where i've been the last 10 years and did that lead you to wanting to work more with mushrooms well i only really really started to investigate mushrooms uh less than 10 years ago i uh, uh you have to realize in northern in canada and uh, northern alberta we only have about uh 1200 plants that are believe it or not that are uh, indigenous and as I as I tell people after 30 years of studying plants and you learn about 40 a year that's it they're all you know them all <laughs> and, so, and so I started looking around and I looked at the mosses and I looked at the lichens and then I started looking at the mushrooms and, and it wasn't until I joined a mycological society and uh, many of the people there who have helped me a lot including Martin Osis who is the past president of the Alberta Mycological Society um, that I actually started learning about the mushrooms of our region, and then I put two and two together that 
that many of the mushrooms that I had been suggesting in my clinical practice actually grew in my backyard. So I was a, a late bloomer in terms of uh, mushroom picking and identification. Nope, no pun intended. No, no. <laughs> um, you know we're we're studying um, mushrooms, medicinal mushrooms. These uh, on Herb Mentor, every two months we do a different featured plant. But this we just kind of did a blanket medicinal mushrooms to get our feet wet, so feet dirty, I should say, uh, so to say. Um, and uh, because it's been an area that we, um, well, you know, shy away from because just none of us on the site have really done a whole lot to really call ourselves and, you know, be feel qualified to do so. So, um, so we, we, uh, we set that this month and Rosalie on the site, um, uh, is a big fan of your book, Fungal Pharmacy. And she said, Oh, you got to get Robert Rogers on the, on the line, you know? So thank you. Thanks for being with us. And, oh. and so, um, I want to start for folks um, you know, just at the beginning, cause you know, people listen to this podcast, uh, not just on Herb Mentor, but beyond too. And, and, uh, so exactly what is a, a mushroom? Because a lot of people just, you know, think it's, well, I know, you know, we see, we see them in the store, but we also just see the parts that are above ground. So what, what exactly is a mushroom? Well, that's a great question. I mean, the fungal pharmacy name, uh, suggests that, it deals with fungi, and of course, fungi is a huge kingdom. In fact, uh, you know, it's one of the, I would say, the third after animals, plants, fungi, uh, a major kingdom on the planet. And in fact, uh, probably less than 10% of the fungi on, on the planet have actually been identified or named. And so it's a, it's a vast area of study. I've concentrated mainly in the book here to deal with Mushrooms, that is either the polypores, that is their pore-type shape, uh, um, release of spores from trees, and or the gilled mushrooms that often grow more on the ground. And both of those, of course, are the fruiting body. The actual organism is living in the tree, living in the ground, and spreads huge mycelium mats that actually allow for... Um, most plants, including trees, to actually exist. Uh, without, the, without the fungi, they would not have a way to really absorb nutrients and water. And, and so there's a little trade goes on between fungi and, and plants in terms of, I'll give you some sugars, i.e. the fungi want sugars, and the plants want the other nutrients that are made available by the mycelium. So it's a little trade off that actually works and they are totally interrelated wow and um i read where paul stamets said there could be uh eight miles of mycelium and one cubic inch of soil absolutely that's crazy so talk a little bit about that like mycelium and the network and how the, the size of some of these organisms and stuff like that it's fascinating. Well, there, are some, there are some large organisms in fact and just south of you in oregon there is the what some people consider the largest organism in the world, which is the uh, a species of honey mushroom, and uh, it's it's fairly significant. I th I believe it's around two thousand acres or something like that. So if you compare that to say, let's say the uh, blue whale, it uh, is significantly <laughs> larger. <laughs> yeah, and so it's one organism. I mean, and how they know it's one organism is they do DNA testing and. At, at all the different extremes, and they find that it actually is um, um, the same organism. And is this setting up fruit that people can harvest, or that particular species, or or like how does that? Yeah, the honey mushroom is one that is actually puts out a. Um, uh, uh, it's actually twenty four hundred. I was wrong. Twenty four hundred acres. It actually is underground, and then it fruits as it goes and it is one of the major destroyers uh destructive uh mushrooms to uh various trees like the douglas fir etc oh. and so foresters don't like it uh, mushroomers do i mean it's one of my favorite tasting mushrooms it's not only a great edible but it has a number of great uh, medicinal properties as well including you know things like helping to promote uh, T helper cells for our immune system. It has some definite uh, contributions for uh, blood sugar control, things of that nature. So, 
you know, uh, it's a great mushroom. So, um, overall the the purpose of of i mean the 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 fungi like have a, a lot of different purposes or like you know are they are they are they cleaning the forest are they you know what is the various purposes that that mushrooms or the networks there do i mean do, i mean do you i mean the term mushroom itself is that just referring to the fruit or is that like referring to the whole organism it's a uh, whole organisms that have fruiting bodies right yeah, and they're part of the fungi kingdom. Uh, some of the uses that they have, uh, they're numerous. Uh, one of the things that I think really is very important to note is that they are the recycler on the planet. And they take all kinds of, otherwise we'd have leaf litter up to the sky high in the, in the forest. So they help to break down and make these nutrients more available for the next generation of plants mm. and animals and, uh, and after that. Uh, they also uh, tend to um, have an ability to keep plants healthy by, by their uh, um, ability to spread and, and nourish and, uh, and feed and, uh, and act as part of that whole ecosystem that everything's interrelated. Uh, they also are able to degrade and to break down very nasty toxins in our environment including a number of different petrochemical, uh, chemical, and various uh, uh, phenols and uh, all kinds of things that are formed by, the, uh, by chemistry that need breaking down. And, uh, and that's an area of very interest. And I know Paul Stamis has a great interest in that, and I do too. Uh, where I live in Alberta, we have this nasty, huge uh, Athabasca oil sands uh, taking up about a quarter of our province that needs remediation and and they're having very limited success with uh, bringing back uh, vegetation and bioremediation and again microremediation actually plugging in mycelium into areas that would actually help promote the spread of introduction of various grasses and herb herbaceous plants and trees and i think it would speed the whole process up that's incredible so it's like yeah so so the so then the mushrooms or or are we when we say the term mushroom again we're referring to the whole organism correct not just the fruit we are okay and 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 so they it seems like on the earth ecologically it's seems like the big part of uh, of the earth's immune system a big part of the lymphatic system right in a way if we're going to kind of line that up with 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 a human's uh functions and uh and in in a way um i mean a lot of body systems actually when you think about it so yeah they had all all mushrooms as a generalization now Mm -hmm. they're they all have specific uses for different body systems Mm -hmm. but when you talk about the immune system one of the major constituents of uh Mushrooms are, are these beta-glucans, uh, beta-1,3, beta-1,6 glucans. These are large molecules that do not have the ability to be absorbed by the human intestinal tract into the bloodstream. Mm-hmm. But they do tend to stimulate lymphatic tissue that surrounds these areas and, uh, and uh, therefore initiate changes in either the direction, the Th1, Th2 direction of the immune system, mm-hmm. or function to uh, encourage more macrophage or interleukin or in- interferon-type production. So incredibly valuable. It's just incredible how like you can just line up. I love that when you can line up how something is doing ecologically and also can do for ourselves as well. And it seems it's- like there really is a beautiful example of that. Well, herbalists like to do that, yeah. and uh, yeah. and and I, and and really, to be honest, I, I think really it's interesting that herbalists, herbs, working with herbs, that it's very exciting that I would say in the last half dozen years, uh, herbalists have embraced uh, mushroom therapies into their practices much more widely than was ever accepted before. At least Western herbalists, right, right. Um. 
Let's see. And uh, yeah, you were talking about the immune system. So you, you, you say in your book that the mushrooms contain bioactive metabolites capable of helping revitalize and modulate our immune systems. Can you talk a little more about that? Yeah, well, I think the greatest example of this is, um, let me use an example out of biomedicine. Uh, say you uh, have a inflammatory condition like arthritis or something like that and you decide to go that you want to seek some help with uh, using a, a, a pharmaceutical approach, one of the things that you may be given, um, you know, uh, maybe some quick kinds of corticosteroid, which help reduce the inflammation, but at the same time actually depress your immune system and uh, actually cause other problems as well, as we know. Um, Let's look at an example of an autoimmune condition of rheumatoid arthritis. In this particular case, the tissue body is destroying its own tissue. One of the great advantages of medicinal mushrooms by being modulators means that when the immune system is deficient, when it's down, it has the ability to boost and support. But when it's autoimmune condition, that is an up overramped mm -hmm. kind of condition, it allows to damp it down and relieve the inflammatory process. You know, inflammation is the big killer. I mean, inflammation mm -hmm. is what really causes so many problems of health in humans. And so by modulating, it's not stimulating, it's not depressing, it's making it optimal. And that's what's so excited, exciting to me about the mushrooms in general. So I want to get into specific mushrooms in a little bit because, you know, so people feel like a mini field guide, if you will, things they can take with them from this and maybe start uh, experimenting or bringing some mushrooms into their life. Before we get into specifics of individual species, I was wondering, um, like a lot of people, you know, most people I probably listening, most of their experience with mushrooms is just going to the market and, you know, buying some button mushrooms and chopping them up and putting them in the stir fry. So um, <clears throat> what's the best way for people to start out or, um, you know, or how they should use mushrooms? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that they put them in their stir fry because uh, I do want to caution people in general that uh, against eating any mushrooms raw. I know that, you know, there's people out there who are still making their little spinach and raw button mushroom salads, and I want you to stop doing that. There are compounds in the basic uh, uh, mushrooms, agaricus, that have, that are not very good for you and should not be taken on a cumulative level. And so cooking the mushroom does not destroy any of the medicinal value and uh, actually makes them taste better anyways. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but I would say if you go to your general uh, supermarket, number one, you'll notice that in the last few years, virtually everything's turned over to organic mushrooms. The buttons, the uh, oysters, the shiitakes, uh, the enoki, they're all organic. And, and one of the reasons for that is, of course, that they're traditionally the fungicides that were used in the industry. Because let's face it. These large barns that were used for mushroom production of buttons, for example, uh, lend themselves perfectly for fungi growth. And, and so huge amounts of antifungal agents were used, and those were not very healthy mushrooms. Hmm. So make sure you buy organic. And, and, and just, you know, how, do those mushrooms, the, the basic button mushrooms that a lot of people will get in the market, do, do, do those themselves, are, are they even health or helpful and medicinal in, in quality? Oh, extremely. I mean, uh, one of, as a herbalist, you're probably very familiar with the um, uh, concept of uh, uh, aromatase inhib inhibitors. Mm -hmm. uh, these are for hormone-sensitive cancers, uh, you know, some, th some herbs like uh, uh, nettle root, for example, but button mushrooms have a great capacity for uh, containing ro aromatase inhibitors, especially against hormone-sensitive cancers, and uh, that's one. They also are extremely useful for uh, uh, blood sugar regulation um, added into the diet. They also 
have a number of different compounds that suggest that they may be very useful in uh, prevention, preventing the development of uh, uh, neoplasms in people who are already have cancer or undergoing chemotherapy treatment for cancers. So yeah, button mushrooms are just a given. They're they're not my favorite tasting. I rather pick them in the wild myself. Mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, they're they're tastier that way, but absolutely I I think they're a great mushroom. And 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 so do do you yourself like use like cuz I also I I seen like tinctures with mushrooms and capsules and dried and uh like so do you, well, just, they, yeah like, when would you use those like why would you do that and not just cook them well you would if if it's an edible mushroom like shiitake or oyster mushroom oysters by the way are a great mushroom for they contain natural uh, lovastatin which uh, helps to of course lower cholesterol levels and two big meals of oyster mushrooms a week may be as good for you as your statin drug and so that's another one, but of course, cook it as well. But if it's an edible mushroom, eat it as your food. Make food your medicine, medicine your food. Some of the mushrooms are not edible, They're especially the conchs, the, uh, the very hard, uh, woody um, polypores that grow in trees. Uh-huh. They, they need to be prepared. They need to be either boiled to release those multiple oligosaccharides, polysaccharide chains, these really complex sugar chains that have such benefit for us. And so alcohol, water extracts, uh, there's controversy about whether hot water, cold water are equally good. There's Everybody has an opinion, of course, and uh, uh, but there needs to be some extraction method for those. And then, of course, some of those are then put into concentrated extracts and sold in stores. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm kind of a, an old hippie who likes to make my own medicines, so I, I rarely buy them. But occasionally, it is nice to buy the powders. Right, right. So for convenience or if you're just like trying to do a certain therapy or something, you might find it the tincture or something might be a good way of going. Right. And and, and and as a further to this, I think it's important to note that many of the products on the market are not just from the fruiting bodies, that is the, you know, the apple and the tree, but the mycelium that is the living organism in laboratory settings, very sophisticated, very pristine, clean environments grown, uh, they, that they are, the mycelium part is also sometimes added into formulas. And so the mycelium has well been well-researched as well, and they contain compounds that are not available to the average woodland harvester. I see, I see. Yeah. yeah. So... Um... We do on this uh, on our site. We're pretty much uh, very much about the do-it-yourselfer, like like you are personally. So, um, and I think that uh, at least it, it's even true personally because you hear all the stories and anecdotes of the people who kill themselves. <laughs> so, uh, for for those who want to get started in in harvesting mushrooms, you know, when you do a class like. Where do you where do you look? How do you do this safely? You know how do you? How... Okay, well, there's a couple of rules about mushrooms, right? Mm-hmm. There's a couple of things. One is, uh, if you cannot name the mushroom, don't eat it. <laughs> that don't, makes sense. And don't make a medicine of it. You have to be able to name it. That's the first rule. And uh, so, you know, if if you can't do that, then I think it's really uh, that then you have to start from that. And I, you go out with someone who actually is experienced and knows so that when you see it and you name it, uh, after a while, you'll start to get familiar with it. And some of the books that just are pictorials, they're not accurate enough sometimes. You really need several books. And uh, my bookshelf is full of, uh, um, of uh, fungi picture books and uh, you know, you can't carry them all with, in the woods with you, but you can bring many of them back and then start to learn how to use keys and identify for yourself. It's really important. And you have some nice color shots as well in the 
in in your in your giant book that I'm holding right here. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I I I probably took about eighty percent of them, but I wow. but I had help from some other uh, students of mine as well as a uh, uh, great photographer called uh, his name is John Plaschke out of Pennsylvania contributed some wonderful pictures as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so you've identified it you've got an expert you've gone out there um that that's great i love that that's a nice safe answer um (laughs) and uh and so is there any um as far as location goes is there any red flags or you know like is it because most of them are growing in a forest that you're not really dealing with side of the road issues and things like that or Oh, well, they do concentrate heavy metals and uh, things of that very, very distinctly. Uh, You do need to be very cautious when you're picking mushrooms both on trees and on the ground particularly. Mm -hmm. Some of them accumulate uh, cadmium and arsenic and and various uh, things, cesium, radioactive areas. I mean, um, you know, uh, there's reason to believe that uh, radiation... uh, came over from Japan recently, you know, and uh, and so that would be uh, picked up and accumulated by organisms, including fungi. So, yeah, you, where you pick is very important. You don't want to be picking downstream from, uh, you know, uh, petrochemical plants or even from farming. Uh, nitrates and nitrites are uh, very common in some farming practices, nitrogen fertilizers, and be careful about those kind of areas, yeah. Uh, what about lookalikes? I mean, that's usually the big thing people say, like, oh, so-and-so thought they were picking a, you know, a morel or a chanterelle or something, and then they picked, it was the wrong time of year, and then they harvested it, and then they died. You know, you know, hearts are hearing those stories. Also. Well, people, people are dying. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, there's some new, uh, there's very recent, I mean, uh, uh, Michael Bugue, who's uh, head of the toxicology uh, for NAMA, North American Mycological Association was just up in Edmonton a few weeks ago, and we released a poster that uh, Martin Osis and I worked on for about a year that is on poisonous mushrooms. And for that specifically that purpose, what mushrooms could people misidentify and ingest by accident? And then what are the standard treatments, uh, measuring and naming that mushroom, and then treating as soon as possible in emergency wards and uh, we've now got this all over the province, this particular mush, uh, poster, and oh. I, I'm kind of happy that we got that out nice. there. Nice. So yeah. what, what would you consider, like, the number one misidentified, you know, look-alike one that's poisonous but might look alike, look like something that people might want to pick, or is there any? any- oh, there's a classic one. And I'll, it's the one that's probably responsible for 80% of the poisonings in North America. Oh. There is a... Uh, Which one's that? Well... <laughs> Tune in next time. <laughs> it has a profound name. It's called the Destroying Angel. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's Amanita. And Amanitas, of course, are white gilled, white spored mushrooms that have a little vulva on them. But when they're very young, when they're just popping out of the ground, they can easily be mistaken for the common wild button mushroom. Ah. Uh. And unless you actually dig down further into the ground and then cut it in half so you see this uh, little encased uh, uh, amanita, you could easily mistake that. And if you took those home and fried them up and ate them, uh, about uh, a few hours later, up to, you know, maybe up to eight hours later, you start to feel quite sick, vomit, feverish, etc., cramping, and then you feel okay. Then you go, oh, I guess I just, you know, ate something bad. And then three days later, you die an excruciating death of kidney and liver failure. I thought you were going to say it all got better after a few hours, but you give me three more days to die. It's one one of the most deadly. In fact, the uh, standard uh, great anecdote for this is uh, a silly binin, which is... uh, uh, from milk thistle, as all of our herbal friends know, milk thistle seed, psilobinin is used intravenously to reverse the kidney and liver failure that is associated with this toxin. And uh, it's unfortunate that many hospitals in 
Canada and the United States don't stock it. They, it's, the, it's the number one thing that will save lives. Wow. Wow. That's, that's uh, probably something you keep on hand then. <laughs> it's, something, it's something that I'm encouraging our own healthcare system in, our, in the province here to make sure that we do re-look re at this issue because it, it doesn't come up very often, but if it saves one life, it's worth it. Does the, do these two different mushrooms, the wild button mushrooms and the destroying angel, would they be coming up around the same time or is it like, you know? Yeah, they're coming up at the same time, and they come up. They come up on lawns. I mean, uh, I live on a ravine in the middle of a larger city, mm -hmm. and I often go down into the valley there and pick. And I, I, I walk by lots of uh, button mushrooms all the time. I'm kind of, you know, I like more try more exotic things, but uh, yeah. And I also have to keep in mind that when I go and pick that. I have to bring home for supper something that my wife enjoys as well. So, <sighs> favorites. <laughs> yeah, like I, yeah, it makes me want to go out and do some identification on my lawn uh, when that time of the year comes. Because sometimes my entire lawn there's just covered with mushrooms. Just like right now, it's just uh, covered in moss. My my son's out there mowing the yard. He's like, Dad, there's no grass out here. It's just moss anyway. <laughs> How lucky are you? <laughs> Out here in the wet zone. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny that it is. Uh, it does strike me as ironic that somebody who lives on the uh, bald prairies of uh, northern Canada actually wrote a book like this on medicinal mushrooms. And you'd think that I'd be living in Washington or Oregon or at least in Vancouver. Or yeah, <laughs> Vancouver Island or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That'd be perfect place probably on Vancouver Island, I imagine, with all those forests. Uh, well, yeah. I, I do try to get out once or twice a year to do a, usually do a two-day, one-day in classroom talking about medicinal mushrooms and how to prepare them, how to use them, uh, what they're good for. And then the second day, of course, we get out into the old-growth forests and find them. And uh, that's what I really like doing. Well, I'm, I'm going to be uh, moving in a year or so to a place not too far from Victoria. So I'm going to hop over and catch one of your classes in a year or two. Oh, it'd be nice to meet you. That'd, That'd be, be great. Excellent. Um, or I could, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> so so, uh, so, what about people who, um, I had a friend, We, I, I was amazed when, like, when I first moved out to Washington in 95, and there's a lot of earthy people out here, and people, do, you know, do-it-yourself people. It's got, I'm from New Jersey, so this was kind of a new thing for me, you know, wide-eyed and looking around, seeing what people do. And there was this guy who was this chef who lived on this property that I was on, and he's, like, uh, had all these logs and all around the property that he inoculated with shiitakes. Yes. And so is that is that is that easy to do for people, or is that just more bioregional, like because I live in a wet place? Or well, uh, ideally, I mean, shiitake likes oaks. So if you have some scrub oaks or bur oaks or whatever you have out your way, the shiitake really likes to inoculate. Mm. Uh, you can, uh, but you, but in my area, for example, I do a lot of inoculation of poplar trees with oyster. And, and buy spawn plugs or uh, powder. And I last two summers ago, I did a thousand plugs and different on a friend's uh, property uh, on aspen poplar. And I'm looking forward to going out this summer and seeing what uh, what's going to pop up. Oh, that's fun! And and I've seen there's a lot of uh, there's various websites and places out there where you can. Um learn about this and get the supplies, right? I mean, do you have one that you like in spe specifically? I think, does it's, Paul Stamets have one? Oh, Paul Stamets has uh, a number of different varieties that he offers. As, uh, but you see, it takes a very specialized uh, kind of a setting in order to produce this mm. mycelium. But once the mycelium's in the tree, it basically it likes it or it doesn't. And it takes off a... They're now doing shiitake... Uh, uh, um, growing in Scotland, and they're using birch trees, uh -huh. which is a great way to uh, um, um, use utilize a tree that is underutilized. Uh, um, uh, so any hardwood really okay. could be tried with shiitake. Nice. 
All right, so now let's speaking of shiitake, let's get to some um, let's get to the the fungal pharmacy here, uh, and let's talk about some specifics, and that way people might know ones that they want to start with or look out for, maybe put in their diet or learn about and do a little research on. So since we mentioned shiitake, let's start with that one. That's a popular one. Well, shiitake, yeah, shiitake is uh, you know is a challenge to grow. I mean, like I say, it's an introduced. Uh, uh, species, so you're not going to find it just walking in the woods yourself. But it's in the it, supermarket, though. I mean, oh, all over the place. And and one of the things you want to do is when you buy them, of course, you end up with a uh, the stipe or the stem and the and the other part. And don't throw that stem away. It's not truly edible in the terms of take the caps, slice them up, saute them, whatever, however you want to prepare them. And then take the uh, stipes or the stems and give them a, a gentle decoction or boil and then use that as broth because a lot of the compounds will come out in that and otherwise you're just wasting and uh, wasting half the mushroom. Hmm. And so I found that that's a great way to, uh, to use the uh, uh, shiitake uh, mushroom. It's a great medicinal. It has uh, definitely has proven uh, benefit for people who when an alternative choice for uh, who are HIV to, to keep their viral loads low, it specifically has been shown to be very very good for that. Shiitake, oh. um, antiviral in general, I mean, very uh, uh, the herpes virus, the cold sore virus, things of that nature, shiitake, very, very useful. Immune system generally, a good modulator. And, uh, you know, it, it is... One of those um, well-studied uh, mushrooms that has um, a bit of a myth, has a bit of a myth to it that I need to say. Lentinin, which is the one of the active ingredients of shiitake, uh, is not easily absorbed by uh, eating. Mm. That is by ingestion. Most of the studies that have been done on it have been from injections from of the active ingredient lentinin in um in japan so you don't think that you're going to get the same benefit from eating the mushroom that you would from some of the studies that have been done having said that there are other compounds out there for example there's a, a, a a product that's available in the markets called ahcc which uh stands for active uh, hecos correlated compound is not relevant, but what they've done is they've grown it on particular substrates, and this has been found to be extremely useful for different things such as uh, uh, liver cancers, gastrointestinal cancers, uh, helping improve uh, um, um, uh, tolerance for uh, um, people who have low immune markers. So mm-hmm. it's avian flu, oh. West Nile virus, things of that nature. So it has been shown to be extremely useful for those kinds of things. Wow. Yeah. Um, now, <clears throat> I, 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 I usually like, you know, it's, of course, it tastes better when you, when you, when you get the fresh mushrooms and all, but it can be pricey. And I, I've been in, um, some markets where I've seen like these big bags. Sometimes you go into an Asian market or something. These big bags of like dried shiitake mushrooms, right? And and they're cheap and all, yeah. and you buy them. And um, what's your opinion on those? I mean, should they be avoided? Are there like fungicides and things that are they're being used on some of the like? Do, do you get what you pay for and should, certain quality that you should look out for? Uh, purchasing mushrooms uh, in like if you're getting stores? them dried, if you're buying them dry. Oh, if you're buying dry. Yeah. Yeah. If you're buying big bags of mushrooms from uh, uh, China, like shiitake mushrooms, or you see big bags in Chinese supermarkets, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can almost be assured that they've used something or other. Yeah. Yeah. So just saying that, just for people to look out for that, that don't be fooled and uh, and try. Look, always remember quality when you're exactly when you're getting your when you're getting your products <laughs> yeah yeah i think you know generally speaking uh uh because they're so available fresh uh, they're much more delicious that way although they do reconstitute well mm-hmm. i mean 
if you're growing a lot of them and you have uh, a plethora of them, yeah, dry them for yourself and definitely. Uh, by the way, work. Some of the work done by Stamets was interesting. Is that he he exposed uh, various mushrooms, including shiitake, to uh, sunlight for a brief period of time uh, before harvest, and they found that they really increased the vitamin D levels significantly. And so that's something you can think about as well. That uh, even though the many of them grow well in the dark initially, anyways, uh, that. Uh, natural vitamin D and, and ergosterols, which are full, all the mushrooms are full of these compounds, are precursors to vitamin D. And people who live in areas like Seattle and and parts of the West Coast, wet coast, as you call it, not, you're not getting in the wintertime anywhere near the kind of sunshine that you should have. And vitamin D has been shown to be a significant uh, contributor uh, to well-being, particularly to a number of conditions like diabetes in fact yeah we have to supplement here it's one of the, it's like the one supplement that i take that uh, i have to take uh, a lot of every day and if you ate mushrooms you wouldn't have to good to know all right yeah. i like this i like this uh makes me want to go uh inoculate some trees in my <laughs> my tiny little two tree my two tree i call it my forest in my little postage stamp suburban backyard <laughs> well, and, and of course there are some contraindications with some mushrooms they do interact with uh drugs uh, mm -hmm. uh should, uh, people who are on blood thinners for example should use uh shiitakes with some caution that that there are compounds in there that are natural blood thinners that means if someone is uh, has a normal physiology and no problems, that's a good thing. But if they're already taking a number of drugs for blood thinning, that, that may put them one step over that line. So just, just use it with caution. Okay. And uh, how about uh, reishi? Well, reishi is the classic. It's been the most researched of probably all the mushrooms. Um, there's controversy about whether you actually have reishi on the coast there i don't think you do i think you have a very closely related mushroom called uh, ganoderma um, suge t-s-u-g-a-e uh, that has many of the same benefits and so you know whenever it has that nice shiny red shiny brown coating to it and uh fantastic i mean there's probably I have in the back of my book a, uh, a, uh, some charts about what mushrooms are good for what conditions. And reishi, ganoderma, ganoderma suge, and lucidum, they go straight across the chart and fill in just about every category. So for everything. Wow. In including calming the spirit, which was the traditional use by Taoist monks of reishi, because it really has this really profound effect when taken over time, have really causing a meditative type of uh, clear mind. And, and is this one that you just get fresh or buy fresh and cook up, or is it something you have to? Well, they're 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 extremely woody. They mm -hmm. cannot be eaten. They have to be actually uh, processed on mm -hmm. some level. And so, on the market, you'll often see mycelium and fruiting body combinations. Uh, which both have a number of uses. And in fact, in some work they've been doing now, they're actually taking and processing the spores. You know, each of these fruiting bodies will produce millions of spores a day. And these are very tiny, if you can imagine. And uh, these spores have compounds in them that also have been shown to have medical purposes. It, it would be like if if the mycelium is the apple tree and the apple is the fruit, mm -hmm. then the spore is the seed inside of the fruit. Oh. And so they're doing work with reishi, and it's for everything. It's for any kinds of, I mean, liver tonic, kidney tonic, cardiovascular, for blood pressure, for cancers, diabetes, you name it. This is one you could buy dried and then tincture yourself, huh? You can, and again, I caution you that if you see big barrels of reishi in your local uh, Chinese uh, superstore, that uh, those may not be the optimal uh, <laughs> mushrooms to be utilizing. I mean, 
maybe okay, maybe not. So, uh, you know, use discretion. But if you're going to make a, a, a tincture of uh, any of the fruiting bodies, uh, uh, it's important for you to know that you want both the alcohol and the water-soluble constituents out of it. You want both. You want both. Okay, so tincturing in like a, a vodka would be good. Yeah, but think about this. Yeah, that's actually correct. But think about this. Uh, if you need to boil the mushroom to get out the active ingredients, mm -hmm. which order do you do this in? Oh, right. So you're going to do a decoction and then maybe just go with uh, grain alcohol for the rest. Yeah, I here. I mean, many people have their own opinions about how you do this. Like, if you, if you, um, if you boil first, and then you have this mushroom, uh, the mark left over, mm -hmm. you put into alcohol. What are you going to do for two weeks with this water? So my suggestion is this: that you actually take the mushroom, chop it up finely, put it into ninety-five percent. Ethanol, you've got Everclear out your way, I assume, right? Right. right. Yeah. Do that a one to five. Let that sit for a couple of weeks. Then strain out and then take the mark that's left over and then make a one to 20 decoction with that. Slim, simmer that down to half and then combine the two. That's for almost any woody polypore, that seems to be a formula that gives you an optimal 30% extract in the end. And uh, you get both this valuable water and alcohol-soluble constituents. Excellent. Thank you for that tip. Appreciate Absolutely. that. Sure. Um, how, about, uh, how about chanterelle mushrooms? Oh, they're tasty, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They, that, that's, uh, to be honest, I haven't done a lot with mushrooms. But that's, that is the one that I uh, have, you know, apparently correctly identified because I'm still here. Okay. And, uh, and 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 found and found in spots. And the 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 the, pro, the 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 heartbreaking part here is when I found spots and you finally find them and you go and you harvest. I've you know you go back the next year and and often it's back in logging areas and then the areas log the next year you know and so it's like oh my spot's gone you know and so I, oh that's such a drag. Sometimes I just give up you know and it's time to harvest because. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's uh, it's good. I mean, I often go out uh, this year. I'm looking forward again. I'm going out to the uh, uh, they have uh, Sycamus in British Columbia. They have a great mushroom festival in uh, September, and uh, the uh, the chanterelles are everywhere, and the uh, pine mushrooms, of course, which people you know harvest commercially, big money for them, or it used to be, and the lobster mushrooms are everywhere, and these great big you know, rustlers that were turned bright orange that are popping out of the moss. That's one of my favorite times. I just kind of go like a kid in a candy store <laughs> and, those and processing those. And I eat those all winter. I freeze those up and I have those for the winter. Be like a new term we have to come up with instead of kid in a candy store. It'd be like a, like a mycologist in the forest and fall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a fun guy in the forest or a fun guy. Mm -hmm. yeah. Chanterelle, you know, chanterelles are great. I mean, they're a great source of vitamin D, like we were talking about earlier. And uh, they definitely uh, are uh, extremely useful for, you know, antibacterial. They have, uh, uh, in fact, they're used as part of combinations in in parts of Africa, they have chanterelles there. They use them as part of mixtures to treat HIV in the uh, Carposi uh, carcinoma, carcinoma, sarcoma that is involved with that. So it's a great, uh, uh, you've got to be careful though. It does accumulate different kinds of radioactive cesium. So where you pick it's quite a, kind of important. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, Probably one of my favorite tasty mushrooms. Uh, uh, we unfortunately don't have any chanterelle at all in Alberta. We do in British Columbia, and we do to our east in Saskatchewan. It's a big industry, actually. But right here, we don't have any of those great apricot-scented uh, mushrooms. Yeah, 
It's it's uh yeah, there's some great spots around here. So unfortunately, a lot of the ones are uh yeah. Sometimes I don't get there in time. You know, someone else has gotten there first. <laughs> well, a, a friend of mine who I mushroom pick with, he he lives in Manitoba, and he he does a favorite thing. He takes chanterelles and he pours uh, vodka over them, like just crams them in a bottle and just covers them barely with the uh, vodka, and leaves them for about a month. And that it does give a really interesting uh, flavor that can be used for sauces and things like that. It's really quite good. Wow. Yeah, That's yeah. What's, uh, well, what's uh, another one or two of your favorite things to do with, well, any mushroom? that you, That's like things like that, little tips or... Well, well, oh, tips of how to use them? Yeah, something you like to do, some of your favorite things or... Well, I like to use them for uh, uh, decoration. I often pick some of the little polypores and I make necklaces and hat bands and things like that out of them just for fun. I also have in the past steam distilled them and uh, you actually end up with hydrosols that can contain some of the compounds that are very useful for, for health and well-being. So, so I also like to photograph them, of course. And, 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 uh, and, uh, and, I, and I like some of the mushrooms that have both edibility and medicinal and one of my very favorites are the heresiums. These are these kind of white brain-like coral mushrooms that, mm. that you see in the forests. And uh, um, they have been shown to contain compounds that are extremely valuable for uh, dementia. And one study in Japan with Alzheimer's showing that there was cognitive improvement while people were taking them. So that's the kind of stuff that interests me a lot. And I and I want to say, folks. I mean, I mean, this 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 um very this this five hundred plus page book of yours um, covers so many species. And how many species would you say are in? Yeah, here? I'd say there's around three hundred. Okay, and um, and uh, let's see. And good pictures, so you can identify them. I think and, decent pictures. Yeah, and uh, and there's information on. Traditional uses, medicinal use, cosmetics, cultivation, um, all kinds of just great yeah. information. Just the, kind of your overall handbook. Well, that's very kind. Yeah, I, I, I did it because I love it. And I, I think that uh, my love of the mushroom shows through. And I, I did a lot of a little bit of the uh, ethno-mycological aspects of it as well, like how it was used. Some of these were used traditionally by Native peoples of this continent which is not really literature you find everywhere as well. I love this shot on uh, of you with the uh, giant Western puffball. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a, you know, it's, it's giant. Did you, you know what I won for that? What? I, I won $300 in a contest for that. Wow, just for finding yeah. this really big puffball? Yeah. They had a humongous fungus uh, contest in Edmonton, and it was on a television station, one of these morning early breakfast shows and i showed up with that and i won hands down 22.5 pounds oh my goodness <laughs> you, can you do anything with these puffballs well you certainly can eat them while they're uh, at that stage of uh um before they turn into uh, yellowish and then brown and dark well, i could feed uh, the whole uh, the whole town <laughs> well you could one of those i mean if you like tofu you would like puffballs Oh. Because they basically take on the flavor of whatever you combine them with. They're just cut them up into cubes and use it just like tofu in their stir fries. They're delicious. There is, uh, you know, it's also in this book is a complete guide to medicinal mushrooms and lichens. Mm -hmm. And so um, let's let's just throw a lichen in there. Um, I'm thinking, well, what, what's your favorite one? Well, of your favorite classic, the classic lichen is Eusnea species. Mm -hmm. so genus of eusnia have containing eusnic acid which is uh, a profound medicine i mean make it at 95 percent alcohol you know, and uh you have it and then great for strep streptococcus strep throat staphylococcus great for you know ipitago and and staph infections of the skin mm -hmm. and uh uh and it has been traditionally show has shows activity and was used traditionally by Native people for tuberculosis. Uh, very insoluble in water, soluble in alcohol, and very soluble in oil. And so I also, not only do I make a tincture of it, I also make 
a uh, crock pot, one to five, usnea oil, low heat, and then you have that oil, which is extremely good for ringworm, athlete's foot, all those fungal conditions. Uh-huh. Very powerful. Very powerful. Thank you for that. I could use that. I appreciate that. I'm going to uh, that because we have lots of that around here. I, I love it. Now, tincturing. Uh, would you recommend just a uh, on making the tincture, a similar process to how you explained to do the... Uh... No, usnea, you can just go straight. It's so dry. You just take your... Make sure it's usnea by getting that little, you know, central cord that has a little elasticity. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure you get usnea. And then just a one to two at 95, and that's it. Excellent. All right. So um, your book, once again, uh, The Fungal Pharmacy, and folks can get that on Amazon, right? Oh yeah, or that's the way. Oh, it it weighs three point six pounds. So I think the way to do it is get the free shipping. Absolutely, right, exactly. <laughs> if you can get the free shipping. <laughs> uh, how about if you're Canadian? Same place. Go to Amazon. Yeah, Amazon CA. <laughs> All right. Um, then uh, let's see. And can you get other books of yours on Amazon as well? Uh, what else is available on Amazon? I don't think so. I, if people go to my website, selffielddistributing.com, you'll see a list of some of the books that I have done. I've, I've done books on herbal drug interactions. I've done plant books. I have one called Roger's, uh, manual, which is herbal manual, which is about 240 of, uh, our more obscure boreal forests, uh, uh, plants that some people who are not from that part of the world might find interesting and ha- and has you know great detail into all the different ways that those plants can be used so right. they can check it out on my website so let's see upcoming dates to go see robert um we have the montana herb gathering headlining there i saw montana herb gathering.org that's in early july um i you can go there to see the exact dates. Uh, just for those uh, wondering, uh, also, just to mention some of other friends on Herb Mentor, uh, Rosalie, uh, who's a uh, uh, teacher here on, on Herb Mentor, will be teaching there. So uh, I'm sure you will meet her, Robert, when you're there. Oh, I look forward to that. And um, as well as, I think, is Matthew Wood and um, a few others, too. Yeah, I love Matt. He's There's great. A few, few other folks that you all know from Herb Mentor interviews and all be there. So that that looks like a great one. I wish I could go to that myself. Uh, I, I will get out there one of these days. And, uh, you know, uh, every second year, uh, Alberta, we now have a herb gathering up our way, uh, we had one last summer. It was very successful. Uh, Matt came up, and we had different people uh, from all over the uh, uh, Pacific Northwest came. And uh, in, in, uh, uh, in late July of 2013, we're going to have our second Her- Alberta Herd Gathering. And so you can go Facebook that, and you can find a little bit of information. We haven't lined up all the speakers yet, but it's coming. So. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. That's great. I'll just look at on the Montana side here. Oh, gosh, got Corey Pine Shane, Todd Caldecott, there's uh, Darcy Williamson, Chuck Garcia. It's a it's action-packed. I, yeah. I don't even want to teach. I just want to go to workshops. Have, have you have you met have you met uh, Chuck Garcia? I had not. No. Oh, you 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 got he's a trip. You got to meet this guy. He's going to be teaching there. He's from oh. California and he's uh he taught he last couple of years at the Traditions in Western Herbalism Conference and the guy's awesome. Oh good. Uh, yeah, you'll have a good time with him. Um <clears throat> he's a great stories to tell. Um and then so we've got uh in Victoria Pacific Rim College. That's in October. You can go to pacificrimcollege.ca. And that is also accessible to us Northwesterners. Just go over to Port Angeles, hop on a ferry. In an hour, you're going to be in Victoria. Bring your passports, and uh, you can get up there. And um, also, uh, NAMA, uh, which is N-A-M-Y-C-O, like North American Mycological, so org, And that's December 13th to the 16th in California. Um, so that's another yeah, place. Yeah, that's be a at. nice one. That's in Santa Cruz, near Santa Cruz. Ooh. There's all kinds of really interesting Northern California mushrooms out at that time of year. And I'm going to give a little talk on medicinal mushrooms as well. And who doesn't want to get to California in December? That'd be awesome. Get out of the get out of the snow. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and uh, com is again is Robert's website. And um, 
Robert Rogers, thank you so much for joining us today on Urban Inter Radio. It's been very educational, enlightening, and it was a good time. So thanks, thanks for spending time with us. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much. It's very kind of you to invite me. Thanks. Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com is a production of LearningHerbs.com. Visit LearningHerbs.com for free herbal lessons, including Herb Mentor News, Home Remedy Secrets, and Supermarket Herbalism. You'll also find the Herbal Medicine Making Kit and our board game Wildcraft. Herb Mentor Radio, copyright LearningHerbs.com, all rights reserved. Thanks so much for listening.